0: Uh, looking uh, further into Galatians chapter two, but I want to read Galatians one six and seven. Paul the apostle said this. He said, "I'm shocked." Uh, your translation said, "I may say marvel if you're in the King James version." But I'm reading this one because I like the way it says tonight. It says, "I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ, and you're following a different way that pretends to be the good news." In verse seven of Galatians one says, "But it's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately." Underline that word deliberately, twist the truth concerning Christ. And so Paul the Apostle says, listen, I'm shocked or I marvel that you're so turned away from a gospel to another gospel, uh, which is not a gospel at all. You know, folks, the shocking reality is that the Apostle Paul really had to address the church at Galatia uh, to begin with. Uh, And this was a church that had firsthand experience with the freedom and liberty that comes from a relationship with Christ through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. So when I look at Galatians as we're studying, I'm shocked that this letter had to be written. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're not talking about a people that were at some great distance. We're talking about people that had had the, the word of truth revealed to them and experienced a tremendous amount of liberty and freedom and experienced and tasted of those good things of God that all of a sudden they're, they're, they, they find themselves being drawn away by what Paul calls another gospel, which is not even a gospel at all. It's, it's shocking to me that this letter even had to be written. This is a people that found themselves slipping back into really the bondage of a religious system that was never designed or intended to produce victory to begin with. But now they're pulled back into something that never, ever produced victory for anyone. Now, Now, folks, it, it would probably be more shocking if... I didn't see that happen in the lives of believers. Now, you think about yourself, when when, when Christ Jesus rescued, uh, rescued you, and, and probably without exception, most of us weren't born with little angel wings sticking out of our back and floating around, you know, with a harp in our hands. Most of us needed to be saved, amen? Anybody besides just me needed to get saved, amen? That I was destitute and without hope, without Christ, and Christ came in and, and saved me. And, and folks, that's not saying, you know, that, that we're... Uh, We were out doing drive-by shootings and the top drug dealer in Miami or whatever it may be. But listen, we just were hopeless. Listen, that wasn't me. I wasn't that toughest guy or that coolest guy or any of those other things. But I still needed Jesus. And so every single one of us have that experience of we come to the end of us. And so for us, regardless of what anyone else saw, we knew how repulsive we were on the inside. Regardless if those things were never manifested to the degree that other people manifest them on the outside. And so we remember that place. But it, So for me, it wouldn't be so shocking, that had I not seen many people, and you probably could do an inventory in your own mind tonight, that the, the person that, man, God rescued them. What are they doing? What are they, why are they walking according to the proverb that says it's like a dog returning to its own vomit, or the sow having been washed back to the wallowing of the mind. What is the attraction to something that kills you to begin with? What was the attraction to something that you got so tired of that you walked away from? to begin with? Isn't that the question sometimes it has been even in our own lives? Maybe you've kind of had that ebb and flow of, man, I'm walking with God, I got the victory, and I'm at that high point, and all of a sudden I find myself back in the molly of a relationship with God. So what is that? So as much as we're shocked by the, the church at Galatia, we should be equally shocked at many times what happens, not just in our own ranks, but in our own lives. And so if that law was only intended that they saw Uh, If, excuse me, not if, but that law was only intended to expose sin and really to demonstrate the futility of man in his attempt to somehow live righteously through his own best efforts. So Paul the Apostle said, listen, I'm shocked that you're suddenly trying to figure out a way that you can do it your own way. Folks, listen, I don't care who we are, we're never going to figure that out. We're never going to figure out something that suddenly we say, man, I guess the cross of Christ and faith in what Jesus did is suddenly obsolete. But that's effectively what happened at the church of Galatians. So our study, what we're doing is systematically kind of looking at the framework of this corrective letter. And for a couple reasons. Number one, they were looking to restore the body into that transformational faith that only comes through trusting solely in the shed blood of Jesus and his substitutionary death upon the cross. And secondly, really assuring that that trap associated with attempting to obtain right standing with God through our acts of self-righteousness, obviously in this case the law of Moses, would not be continued within the body of Christ. Folks, if we could just get those two points out of everything, not just to the book of Galatians, but just in our walk. But listen, I've only got one hope. It is Jesus. It's not Jesus plus going to church enough. It's not Jesus plus memorizing enough scripture. It's not Jesus plus singing in the choir. It's not Jesus plus going out and ministering. That what transforms me is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The power of God. And if I can ever get to the point where I don't find myself constantly looking back over my shoulder, trying to do something else to try to uh, 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 be something that, 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 that's given in addition to that, then I'm going to have victory. And so anytime we try to add something to that mixture, the word I was looking for is supplement. I don't want to find something that supplements the cross of Christ. Now, folks, listen, we got people around here that you can go into our dining room, and especially at different times, we've got different ones, and they've got these stacks of supplements. It's like, listen, I've got a, a big, gigantic uh, uh, thing of, uh, of protein powder, and I've got all these pills and all these supplements. Why? Because I'm supplementing something that my body doesn't produce. Folks, listen, when you're working out, sometimes that's the case. But, folks, when you're walking out your salvation with fear and trembling, you don't need anything to supplement it. You're going to find everything that you need in Christ Jesus. So really the summarization of this argument or defense of the gospel is really found in those two verses that we looked at last week when we met. And that's in Galatians 2.20 uh, 2, and 21. And let's read those together tonight. Very familiar. Probably if anybody ever reads or memorizes anything out of Galatians, it's always these two verses. And probably for good reason. And here's what Paul the Apostle wrote to them. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ is living in me. And that life, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, uh, which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in verse 21, he said, I do not uh, make void the grace of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Because if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for no reason. You know, folks, last week we dealt with that portion in verse 20 concerning the doctrine of identification. Remember that last week we talked about identifying With Christ Jesus. And you know, thinking about it myself this week, you know, I thought about the great lengths that Jesus went through in order to make that simple statement possible. Now I can read I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And I think one of you guys may be wearing a t-shirt that says that on the back of it tonight. But folks, listen, we can say that, but do you realize what it took for that to be written? I mean, do you really understand? I mean. We, we see that. It, it works for a fantastic scripture to memorize. It works for something to emblazon on the back of a, of a t-shirt. It works for something that might be on a Christian-themed uh, 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 greeting card. But do you realize what it took for those words to be written? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Because so oftentimes times it's just spit from our mouth. It's, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live. Easy to say, difficult many times to walk out, but probably even harder to understand exactly what went in to making that statement even possible. So we talked about that difference last week, about the difference between uh, imitation and identification, that imitation is limited to an outward effort that's meant to mimic an inward transformation, whereas actual identification is the abandonment of any attempt to outwardly display something that's never truly been inwardly realized. And folks, I've mentioned that many times, that there's so many people that claim to the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet there's something that is uh, uh, in their life that's diametrically opposed to walking out those things. And so I can imitate things to a certain degree, but the second those things are compared to the real thing is when the wheels come off. And so I want to have something uh, substantive, and I want to have something that is in me that's going to... maintain that that level of demonstration, that only comes through identification. So, imitation is built upon the premise of us attempting to satisfy the righteous requirement of God through our best actions. How many of you ever walked that, you tried to do your best, tried to walk those things out, and just never did measure up? Folks, that's what imitation is. But identification is built upon the truth that in our flesh dwells no good thing, and that self-righteousness is like filthy rags, and the only means to be justified in the eyes of God is to recognize Jesus and His sacrifice is our only path to eternal life. Now, folks, listen. That sounds so, so easy, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But here's the problem. Because of our old Adamic nature, because of that, 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 that person that we used to be, because of the thing that's always in our ear, somehow we never think that that's enough. Because something has happened, and I think it's because of the fall, because of the issues of pride and all of these things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of lust, the pride of life, that there's always this performance element that's alive inside of every one of us. How many of you have ever struggled with with your relationship with God being reduced to performance? Anybody? That unless I do this, uh, or unless I'm involved in that, or unless I please somebody, that I'm not doing those things or I'm not pleasing God. And he's pointing at his brother over. here, saying, yeah, I can testify that he's guilty of those things. They can't see you on camera, so leave that out of there. But folks, listen, sometimes it's reduced to a performance. Now, folks, listen, we know what Ephesians uh, 2 and 8 says. It's what? What's it say? That we're saved by grace through faith. Not not of works, not of performance, so that no one would have the, the, the capacity to boast. But what does he say in the next verse? But we're created, we're saved, we're transformed, we're... To do good works. So we don't do good works or we don't perform to get God's favor. We perform things because we have God's favor. Those things are a testimony of not who we want to be, but those are a testimony of who we are. And folks, I, said, well, I think that there's such a problem with not just an unbelieving world, but an unbelieving church. It's the very fact of the matter is that they condition themselves toward, to, towards performance. That when it's performance, we're always going to fall short. You know, they love to quote from Romans, but they say in the early chapters, in the third chapter, about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that must be the way that it is. Well, folks, let's work our way up to chapter six and talk about, shall we continue to sin so that grace may be God forbid, how can you do that? You've been identified with him. You've been baptized into his death. Now you've been made a slave with him. So no more am I going to be tied to old performance-based relationship, but I'm identifying with Christ Jesus. So it just doesn't mean I do something different. It means that I am something different. But the links that God went to in order to, to, for this to happen, happen, as I'm looking at this week, the enormity of it was literally overwhelming. It, be, because before we could identify with Him, He had to first identify with us. Do you ever stop and think of it that way? That yes, I can identify with Christ. I can be crucified with Christ. But Christ first had to be crucified for me. And so he was the one that said, Listen, I want to identify with Caleb so Caleb can identify with me. I want to identify with Kim so that Kim can identify with me. See, many times we think to ourselves, It begins with us and I made the decision. No, he set the tone, he set the pace, he set the standard. He said, Listen, I want to show you what identification looks like. Folks, do you not know that Jesus said, Follow me or imitate me and I'll make you fishers of men. So everything that he did was an imitation. Even the identification portion of who he was was the direct proportion of what he did for us. And so I want you to consider a couple of verses of Scripture tonight. And look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. And this is talking about before we could identify with him, he had to first identify with us. Very familiar, especially coming up on this time of year. People often quote this, talking about little baby Jesus came and a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and wrapped in a, in a manger. Oh, what he's so sweet? You yeah, always we say, we want to reduce him to that. How many of you got little ones? Obviously, I got my grandson back here sleeping in Melanie's arms, and he's a little one. And, and while that was a joyous occasion, there was a lot of work to that, wasn't there? And even him, he gets hungry every once in a while. Sometimes he don't feel well. And maybe he had to get a shot or go to the doctor. So there's even in that part of identifying, think about what Jesus had to go through. And I want you to think about this. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And so think about this for a second. He said, I want you to identify with me. Identify with the cross. I've been crucified with Christ. But God identified with us. From the very foundations of our being, and so he just didn't show up one day on the scene as a thirty-year-old man walking in the ministry. He didn't do that. He identified with us from the very foundation of who we are. We look at what the Word talks about, speaking even allegorical about our, our, our us as people. He says, "Listen, I formed you. I knew you while you were in your mother's womb." And so he experienced the exact same things that we don't have the capacity to remember. Even at the foundational level. And so he didn't skip any of that portion of identification. So he experienced life in the womb. Do you ever think about that? That God experienced life in the womb. That he experienced the wonder of birth. And so all of those things that went into to giving birth, the, the, the process by which a, a woman goes through, the child coming through the birth canal, all of those things associated with that, God identifies with us through that. So we don't, we don't want to stop at the cross. But think about what he had to go through. He experienced submission even to parental authority. You know, my daughter here, my underage daughter that's in the audience tonight, you know, well, Dad, why is that? Because I'm Dad. That's it. You've got to submit to parental authority. Hey, what do you think about this? Now, that probably is not going to happen. Period. Why? Because I'm Dad and you submit to parental authority. Period. So Jesus even experienced those things. He experienced the difficulties of living and working in a pre-industrialized age. now folks, we get hot, what do we do? Turn on the air conditioning. We get cold, what do we do? We turn on the heat. We get hungry, what do we do? Walk across the parking lot to McDonald's. You see what I'm saying? But can you imagine him living in this pre-industrialized age, this before microwaves, before hot and cold running water? That was, the, that was the part of identification that he chose to come in. Now God is God, and He always will be God. But certainly He could have came became Emmanuel in any era in human history. Could He have not? He could have came years earlier. He could have came years later. That was all in God's timing. But He chose a time where life itself was very difficult. That even identifying with us, wasn't he was identifying with us as somebody off in some Caribbean island, you know, drinking out of coconuts and and swimming in the afternoon and and eating roasted fish over a fire and playing a banjo at night. I mean, that's not the lifestyle that he chose to live. He identified with human life in maybe and possibly one of the most difficult times for it to ever be. He experienced patiently waiting for the time of his assignment. Now, we're talking about God made flesh, but he waited 30 years, 30 years. Folks, listen, sometimes somebody gets a little notion or they, they watch a video of some crime kids in Africa and they can't work 30 minutes. But he experienced, he identified with that time of waiting and enduring and going through learning life's lessons and those experiences that you have to go through. So he identified with us just going through that. He identified or ex- and experienced the loss of friends and family. You know, once you see Jesus enter in his ministry, you don't hear about uh, that that earthly father Joseph being mentioned anymore. So evidently, he lost him at some age. So he knew what it was to mourn. We saw that he wept when he came to the the tomb of Lazarus. So he identified with those pains. That's why, once again, Hebrews says that we don't have a high priest priest who can't be touched by our feelings. He knows exactly what it is to hurt and to long and to be hungry and and all of those things that we endure. Uh, He experienced living under the occupation of oppressive foreign powers, the Romans. And so he identified with people. People said, listen, there's no way you can understand it. No way God could do that. Listen, you don't know where I was raised. Or I was raised in a communist country. Or what about people that were raised? You've heard heard those questions from people. Would would you be a Christian if you were born in China? or Would you be a Christian if you were born? Well, Jesus Christ wasn't born in modern-day America on Manhattan Island. You, You hear what I'm saying? He wasn't born into a place and he, he went to a converted basketball stadium to church in Houston, Texas. That isn't where Jesus came in 12th and, and, and walked around. He went into a very oppressive place occupied where you didn't have the rights that we enjoy. He didn't have, quote unquote, the right to vote because there wasn't any candidates being put up for his choice. You hear what I'm saying? He didn't walk out of the polling booth with I voted and, and, and protesting afterwards. He didn't have that liberty. It was a very oppressive place where even his homeland was occupied by pagans. So he could identify. He wasn't born into privilege, he was born into a working class type of people. He wasn't part of the ruling class. So he experienced that. He experienced and could identify with human life just in general. And so we're talking about not just this nice little uh, flip flop wearing peace sign flashing Jesus that people want to bring you to, but we're talking about God. Having come down from his exalted place in glory, the eternal one who in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We're talking about him coming and experiencing all of those things, identifying with us in order for us to be able to identify with him. And so we go to God and we pray and we cry and say, God, listen, uh, I don't know how you feel. Yes, I do. I experienced that. I man. God, listen, I, 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 I lost somebody. Well, I lost somebody too. Well, God, I'm really going through some difficult times, but I can identify you because when I came down in the form of sinful flesh and for sin, I went through those exact same things. Think about Philippians chapter 2 in regards to this as well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He said, let this mind be in you. Think this way, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want you to consider this. I want you to identify with the way that he thought. Here's what we're talking about with identification. Though he was God, was he God? Not a God, or not just a reasonable facsimile of God. So when you have the people that Jesus isn't God, well, just take them to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something necessary to cling to. In other words, he said, listen, I don't just want to say, listen, I'm God, and that just should be enough, and you just should serve me. He said, listen, I'm God, But I don't think it's something that I need to cling to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to empty myself of my divinity. I'm going to come down in the form of sinful flesh and for sin. And it says in verse 7, But he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Then in verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Folks, listen. This is Jesus Christ identifying with us by humbling ourselves. Folks, listen, there's many times the biggest problem with us is that we refuse to humble ourselves. But God made flesh, humbled himself as an example for us to follow, that we might walk in humility. So, as a result, what? He gives his grace, he gives his divine influence to the humble, but he rejects those that are proud, those that won't identify with him. We can say it that way, right? Here. So, he identified with us, he gave up his rightful place, he didn't use his rightful position to his advantage. He walked in the ultimate display of humility. And again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. Your King James may say, for God made Christ to be sin. I just want to say this as a side note, bad translation, because... There's, there's false teaching out there that believes that Jesus took on really the, the, the spirit of Satan at that point. This false teaching comes out of the Word of Faith movement. I want to say that as a, as a sidebar. Jesus never sinned, folks. He never ceased to be God because had he been ceased, uh, ceased to be God, the sacrifice wouldn't even be acceptable. And so what he became, he became a sacrifice for our sin that we might be made righteous with Christ. And so he suffered for something that he personally never deserved. That's how he identified with us. Has anybody ever felt like that? I'm going through things and I don't deserve to be treated this way. Well, I don't deserve for you to talk to me this way. I don't deserve for that boss to to act this way to me. I don't deserve that. Anybody ever felt that way? Have anybody of you ever been crucified? None of us have here, obviously. Unless we identify with Christ. But he was. So he suffered something that he did not deserve. And he was identified as a criminal even though he never committed a crime. So he ran the gamut in regards to identification. So this is important, folks, because uh, concerning this Galatians' issue of falling back into that reliance or that even that compliance with the, with the old law, because there was a picture that was given under the old covenant, and so those that came and they taught those things to the to the Galatians, they were well aware of this picture, and so there was this ritual this day of atonement. The Hebrew is Yom Kippur. You've heard of it. It's described in Leviticus chapter 16. And we're not going to, well, you, can, you can write that down and go back and look at it sometime. But it was really the most holy day of worship in the Hebrew calendar. But it was also probably one of the most complicated in regards to the, that performance of the ritual. There was a lot involved in that day of atonement because it was so important. And so Jesus Christ became our atonement. Another word that's translated is our mercy seat. He became, became that place where we find mercy. And so there was two things that distinguished this day of worship or this day of atonement that Jesus became an example of. First, it was that one day of the year that the high priest and only the high priest was able to enter into the holy place, so the most holy. You had the outer court, you had the holy place, then you had the holy of holies or the most holy place. And so he went into that tabernacle, that tent of meeting, and what he did, he presented the sacrificial blood as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of Israel and for the purification even of that tent of meeting. And so that's what he did. He went in that one day of the year, he made that sacrifice, he presented it, he cleansed those, those articles that would be used in the, in, the, in, the, in the worship time, then he offered the blood upon the mercy seat. And outside the holy place was that Ark of the Covenant, that rectangular Box it was. It was wooden, overlaid with gold. That spoke of the hypostatic union of Christ. It's one of the fancy words that we use to describe a theological term. In other <laughs> words, the mercy seat demonstrated who Jesus was. He was all man, but he was all God at the same time. And so, the whole day of Atonement was just a picture of those things. And so, it it it, it was a place for the resident presence of God. We hear the word the Shekinah glory of God. And so, the high priest sprinkled the blood upon that mercy seat. Of the Ark of the Covenant and achieved the, the forgiveness of sins uh, for the priest and for the whole congregation for one year. In the next year, they went through that whole involved, complicated system of things to do it over and over and over again. So, secondly, that day of atonement included a ceremony that also involved the expulsion of a living animal from the camp. Do you remember what he was called? He was called the scapegoat. And so, Hebrews 9, chapters 9 and 10 give us this really sustained explanation uh, for this theological and typological significance of that day of atonement. And it was really just a parallel of the ministry of Christ. And so uh, the author of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul the Apostle, he refers to the roles of Christ as being a high priest, as that perfect sacrifice, that his, whole, his blood's perpetual purging of sin and, uh, 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 and the corruption of the heavenly tale of meaning by the sprinkling of his own uh, blood. All of these things that he spoke of those things. And so the provision made by Christ enables us now to enter that holy place where we offer our prayers to God, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. And so he became that scapegoat. Even though Hebrews doesn't mention the the, the issue of the scapegoat, it's all part of that same process. And so the high priest, what he would do on that Day of Atonement, he would put his hand on the head of the goat, and he'd confess the sins of Israel. And so the priest symbolized this, the transfer of the people's sins on the goat. You'll find that in Leviticus 16, verses 20 and 22. And so then there was another goat, th- then that goat, excuse me, was sacrificed. Then there was another goat, which was left alive, called the scapegoat. And so the goats were substituted for the people's penalty. And so that sacrificial goat, obviously it perished its blood, but the other one was allowed to run out into the wilderness. And so the blood was poured out And the scapegoat, the sins were put upon it. And that other scapegoat was allowed to go out in the wilderness and eventually perish. And so that picture that the Galatian church had, bringing it back under the law, was that example. And so... Even those Judaizers that tried to bring these things back, they had that picture. They saw that, that that example under the law was that of the scapegoat. Jesus came and fled away, never to return again. And so he became the lamb sacrificed before the foundations of the world. The lamb of God has come, who takes away the sins of the world. And so from the time of his baptism at the River Jordan, he was identified with us so that we could identify with him. In Romans 5, 17, speaking of Jesus as that second Adam, it says this, it says, For the reason of the transgression of one, speaking of the first Adam, it says, Death reigned through that one, death being what? Sin. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign alive through that other one, Jesus Christ. And so, just as sin entered in through Adam and brought death to everyone, righteousness came through Christ Jesus that we might identify with Him and have life. And so, folks, these are the links that God went through uh, to identify with us, so that we could have the ability to identify with Him. And you could not do one though without the other. Unless He identified with us, there's no way that we could identify with Him. Why? Because there would never be that one that came in the form of man. See, here's the folk, Here's the thing, folks. God made a covenant with man. Man broke that covenant. So God came as man that he might restore the righteousness of that covenant and satisfy the wrath of God so that we might walk and be the righteousness of Christ Jesus revealed. And so if I want to be identified with him, I've got to recognize the very fact that he was identified with me. Why is that so important? Because if I ever diminish who Christ Jesus was, if I were just make him a sacrifice or a god or a prophet or a good man, what I've done is I've taken the power of identification away first from him with me. And if I've eliminated that one, I've eliminated my ability to have the identification with him. And so if you look at many times when people begin to fall into cults, Whether that cult was the the Jehovah Witnesses. They had to eliminate the equation of Jesus' deity. He just became someone. Whether it was the cult of the, the Mormons. They had to just make him just a God that came. Whether it was the cult of Islam. Islam doesn't believe that Jesus Christ actually died upon the cross. They believe that a delusion was sent. It was actually Judas that died. Whether it's the, 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 the cult of the, the Hebrew Roots Movement that wants to somehow eliminate who Jesus was. And, and if you, as you see that thing unfold, eventually that's what's going to happen even in that movement. And so they have to eliminate the, the atoning sacrifice of who Christ Jesus was. And then it just becomes another random act that's part of the big equation rather than that singular act of righteousness that God poured out by identifying with us so that we could identify with Him. And so, folks, we've got to keep Him at His rightful place. That's what Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 2. Listen, guys, I'm determined not to know anything except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Christ Jesus, amen, identifying with us, God with us, and Him crucified so that I can identify with Him. We change the equation we change the transformation. We eliminate identification. All we are is walking in some type of cheap imitation. And so, here's what it says. It goes on to say in um, Galatians, uh, excuse me, First Corinthians two two, not to know anything but Christ and Him crucified. And if He's crucified, what He's done is He's given us a picture of who we were, so that He could provide an example of who He desires. For us to be. So, Paul states literally here in Galatians that the foundation of every single thing that we know and experience has got to be the cross, and that bringing anything else to the equation is not just unacceptable, but it's totally destructive for your testimony. Folks, how do you find yourself slipping away? It's when you fall into imitation and you abandon identification. You'll see it happen. When you think, as long as I go and I do and I say the right things, rather than in him I live and move and have my being, because the second that all I have is my doing, I cease to be identified with Christ and what ends up happening, that old Adamic nature begins to raise its head and all those old thoughts and all those old tendencies and all those old desires. So until the cross is my starting point, I will never understand or operate in the benefits associated with it. Consider Isaiah 53, five. Look what he said. Since he was wounded for our transgressions, right? Who was? He was. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Transgressions are what? Sins. Anything against the righteousness of God. Iniquities are what? Continuous sin. Paths of least resistance. We call them strongholds. We call them reoccurring things. We call them sins that easily beset us. Uh, that peace, he's speaking of thought life, healing of physical enablement, and so until I'm crucified with Christ, these things, which is just basic things, will seem difficult to to walk out because we're not walking in alignment where the provision is provided. We talked about this a few weeks ago about how we've been talked out of much of the crime. Cross, folks, listen, you're never going to see the power to overcome sin. You're never going to have the power to overcome bondages or, or, or temptations. You'll never have the power to, to walk in a pure thought life or experience any type of physical healing apart from identification with Christ. Never going to see it. And so if you're ever asking yourself, man, why, why is it that I can't get a handle on that? Well, it's because you've probably slipped somewhere and you're no longer identifying with him as that substitutionary place. And you're thinking, man, what is the hoop that I'm failing to jump through? Folks, listen, there's no hoops. There's just a cross. That's where we have our victory. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in ourselves? Our faith in our church? Our faith in the ministry that we did? No, my faith in identifying with Christ Jesus because I was lost. I was without hope. I was totally repugnant apart from Him. But suddenly, He identified with me. He bore those things upon Himself. He paid a price that I could not pay because I owed a debt that I could not pay. And so he did all of those things for me. Now I can identify with him by just simply being crucified with Christ. Because I need you to take me into that place. I need you to pull me in with all of my weaknesses, with all of my infirmities, with all of my iniquities, with all of my lack of peace, with all of my my, my physical maladies, and all of those things. God, I want to identify with you not because I deserve it, but because you displayed it upon Golgotha's Hill 2,000 years ago, and you've invited me into that relationship. And so, if we're ever going to get it, if we're ever going to understand uh, what he's trying to teach us in Galatians, if we're ever going to be able to follow and do and live the way that he did, we're going to have to get that place, that identifying with Christ's death upon the cross of Calvary. Sounds easy. It sounds like something we count beads in the Catholic Church. And, folks, listen, there's got to be an understanding and a revelation of identifying with what he did and the reason that he did. And so, to do this, what do we have to do? We have to do what he says. To deny our self. Now, folks, listen. Deniers of self, it it may not just be sleeping in a tent in the woods and not eating for a few days. You hear what I'm saying? Now, that might be a part of the self-denial. That might be a part. or That might be a part of just putting a licking on the flesh for a few days and praying. I mean, that might be that. But, folks, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be never identifying again with that Adamic nature. That's what denying self is. Self is I do not want to identify with that nature. Because the second I begin to identify with that nature in act or in thought, what happens? I cease to identify with Christ Jesus. Why? Because you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two natures. Because you'll end up loving on one and hating on the other, (laughs) hating on the other, and loving on the one. Well, what did he warn us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the perilous times? That we will love pleasure, the pleasure of that old dynamic nature, more than we love God. He didn't say we wouldn't love God at all, but we'll find ourselves loving that other nature. And what happens? We begin to identify more so with it than we do so with 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 the cross of Christ. And so once this, once I'm crucified with Christ, or I'm willing to sacrifice my life to Him, then I now qualify to really live. That's the only time I can qualify to live. And so we only thought we were alive before we got saved, but it was just death attempting to imitate life. That's all people do. So when you go out and minister to people, what do they do? It's death trying to imitate life. You ever look at people's, you know, we're in a neat arena when we get to minister because we see thousands of examples coming by us all the time. You guys that are watching this on the internet, we minister uh, uh, a couple nights a week on Bourbon Street. 50,000 plus people out there from end to end from all over the world. And what you see in most of those cases is this death trying to imitate life. Well, why do we say that? Well, because we've got experience in that environment. We know what it does to you. We know that it doesn't make people happy, it doesn't make them healthy, it doesn't make them wise. People don't say, man, I need to hang out out here or I need to work out here longer because the longer I work here, man, the more joy I get. The longer I work out here, the more peace I find. The longer I work out here, man, my my relationships and my marriages and everything about my life is just so full of joy. No, they go out there and they fake or they try to imitate a good time, but inside they're despondent, depressed, they're destroyed. There's these things that are happening inside their life and they're just looking for hope and they're trying to drown it in the bottom bottom of of an overpriced hand grenade. Folks, that's just death trying to imitate life. And so that's when the illusion of life begins for people in the fall of man. Genesis 2.17 says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he told Adam and Eve... He said, Don't eat it. From the day that you eat it, you'll surely die. And you know what happened? They died that day. That Adamic nature became the prevailing force in everything, and everything died with them. Everything. Every hope, every dream, everything in regards to, to the planet, everything died that day. And so as man ceases to identify with Christ, what does he do? He wants to try to cling to those things that are temple. You see it, right? You see all these big conventions worldwide. we are talking about global warming. Folks, listen. They are never going to slow down that matchstick. You hear me? I believe in global warming. You know why? Because the Bible says that one day even the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. They haven't seen anything. If they think it's it's, it's seasonally warm in the upper uh, northeast because they haven't had their first frost, well, just wait till that day when great hailstones of fire are going to fall down upon this earth. Global warming will take place, but men have not seen it. They can still flip on the air conditioner. But one day, all of these things are going to be burned up and they're going to be consumed. And so all of those things are happening. The world has fallen with that Adamic Creature And so, anytime we identify with that old nature, we cease to identify with the eternity of Christ Jesus. I want to read something else from it. I touched on one verse out of Romans chapter 5. But go to Romans chapter 5 again. I'm going to read from verse 12 to verse 17. Here's what he said. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, right? Which was Adam. And death through sin. And this way, death came upon all people, because all have sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. When was it in the world? Before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. In other words, where there is no law, there is no knowledge of sin. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. In other words, they were sinful by nature. They weren't sinful by breaking a the commandment. They were sinful because they were sinners. And they were sinned uh, uh, by breaking the command but as Adam did, but there is a pattern of the thing to come. In verse 15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of that one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many sins and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more, here's the point I want you to see, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Christ Jesus? That's our identification. So, life ended at the cross, God with us. Life began at the cross, our identification with Him. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ who lives in me. So who is alive in you? Who is alive in you? Christ is alive in you. Now, folks, listen, when we think of that sometimes, again, it's one of those things that's so easy to say. But, folks, if we're genuinely identifying with who is alive in us, folks, there's an empowerment to that revelation. There's an empowerment not just to do, but to not to do. And so if I'm identified with Christ, as Christ inside of me in the life that I now live. I live by that faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's an empowerment to walk in a victory that I cannot do when I'm just walking in imitation. But there's an identification inside of me that differentiates my best efforts. And so here's what I want to say. If you find yourself in a struggle, what you need to go back to and say, God, listen, am I just trying to imitate you? Never obtaining victory, or if I genuinely identify you, putting off the works of the flesh and genuinely getting a revelation of who Christ Jesus is. And so when he says that yet not it I that live, but Christ lives in me, that word live speaks of a devotion to. And so if Christ lives in me, there's a devotion. Now, what's a devotion? Oh, it's what I do every morning for 10 minutes before I go to work. No, folks, that's not a devotion. Literally, by the uh, Thayer's Greek uh, lexicon, says this. It, it says, when Christ lives in me, it's Christ living and operative in me. It's having the holy mind of Christ prevailing and moving me. And so if I'm walking or I'm living in Christ, that means that I have the mind of Christ and there's something that's prevailing. There's something that's prevalent. There's something that dominates my life. And so if I'm in Christ... What's going to dominate my life? So if I'm in Christ, what's going to dominate my thoughts? Spirit. Christ. If I'm in Christ, what's going to dominate my actions? What's going to dominate my interests? What's going to dominate my conversations? Period. Folks, listen. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Folks, you can find whether somebody's identifying or they're just imitating just by getting in a conversation with them. Folks, I know people that claim to be believers. You get into them, and they will talk to you for hours about everything but Jesus. Period. They'll talk to you about, ooh, ooh, who that? They'll talk to you about the Cubs win. They'll talk to you about politics. They'll talk to you about about the latest sports statistics. They'll talk to you about everything else. Why? Because what they do, it's it's not a substitution in their life. It's just an addition in their life. Folks, something happens. The closer you get to Christ Jesus, the less that you have to discuss about anything else. Period. And folks, yeah, I want, to be, I want to be kind to you because listen, it does come with a maturity. It comes with pressing in and the deeper that you go, what you're going to find is all of those other interests that you had, you just don't find any interest anymore. I don't know how many times Mel and I said, hey, listen, hey, why don't we sit down and watch a movie or something? And you know what? We never do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with watching a decent or good movie. But it's like, man, there's so many other things that interest me. And I, and I thought this was myself. I'm like, you know, I'd like to see that. I, I like some historical stuff. But, but, man, do I really want to waste an hour and a half on that? It's just, ugh, I really don't. And, again, I don't think there's anything. What's that? <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? But there is. You'll, you'll see to find interest in those things like you once did. And again, I'm not trying to be some legalistic guy that says never watch a show or anything or, or finding Nemo or whatever it might be. Like, I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm just saying you'll find yourself less and less attracted or even to have time to discuss those things. Why? Because of who you're identifying with. And so it's more than just living in the sense of being alive, yet it's it's it's... Not lacking that demonstrative influence in your life. It's someone or something living inside of me that dictates the way that I live. And so if I'm identifying with Christ Jesus, there's someone inside of me that's pushing my buttons. There's somebody that dictates everything about me. So he identified with me by becoming like man. Now I identify with him by becoming like Jesus. He identified with me by becoming like the second Adam, and I identify with him by becoming more and more like Jesus. Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? 1 Corinthians 3.16, you know this word. Well. Don't you know yourself that you're at God's temple and that God's spirit dwells inside of you? Where does he dwell? He dwells inside of you. He dwells inside of you. Years ago, I was witnessing somebody on Bourbon Street and I asked them if they were walking with the Lord. And, oh yeah, I'm walking with the Lord. And about that time, they pulled out of my conversation, and they started walking to a very filthy club that's down there. And I said, hey, I thought you were walking with the Lord. I never knew he hung out in places like that. <laughs> Folks, that's the thing. I, I, if, if we're hanging out with him, we're going to be interested in what he wants to be interested in, and we're going to do what he did. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. John chapter 14. Turn there quickly. John 14, i want to read verse 16. And I want to pray with the Father that He'll give you another comforter, that He will abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him, even it doesn't know Him. For He does dwell with you, but He will be in you. I want to read that again. Jesus talking before being crucified and being ascended into heaven. Here's what He said. I want to send another comforter, we know who that is, that's that paraclete, that's the person of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. I love this part, who the world cannot receive. Does that sound interesting to you? That he's promising the Holy Spirit who the world cannot receive? Because it doesn't see him, neither does it know him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and shall be in you. Folks, you know, for me, many, many, many years ago, that was so, just that portion of scripture in John uh, chapter 14 was so revelatory to me in regards to the empowerment that I needed in regards to identifying with Christ Jesus. Folks, listen. If we get saved, the only reason we can call Christ Jesus Lord is the Spirit draws us. It takes the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know that, right? It does. I mean, I'm just going to say, hey, this is a good idea. If I'm genuinely going to get born again, it takes the person, the Holy Spirit, drawing me to him. We call it conviction. We call it grace. We call it all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's God's influence drawing us to himself. So he's with us. He has to be with us. Otherwise, we're not making those decisions. I love him because he loved me first. So the Spirit of God is with me. But look what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, listen... I'm sending another comforter. I'm sending the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that the world cannot receive. Folks, the world can receive salvation, right? Because he died for the sins of the whole world. Come unto me, all you that labor, all you that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. This promises you and I'm far off the many of those that I've called. So we know that the world can. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he says, the world cannot receive what I'm talking about. He's with you, but he's going to be inside of you. Now, he's talking to saved people. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking about people that had walked with him. And folks, you remember the struggles that the disciples had before we get to the book of Acts? You're familiar with with, with Peter and and. and and how impetuous he was at times and saying to himself, listen, oh, everybody else leaves you, I'm going to be right here. Then what's the first thing that happened? He's denying him. We saw that. and It was very lonely, obviously, at the cross because all of his disciples were afraid to be identified with him. Why was that? Well, it's because they didn't have the power to identify with him. They had the power to show a strong interest in that relationship but never to truly walk in that empowerment. And lo and behold, he said, I want you to go and I want you to tarry in Jerusalem. He said, then I'll send you that promise that I made you back in John chapter 14. And he said, then you will receive power to be my witnesses, to be my, my martyrs, to be a martyr to identify with me. How is, how is that like it? Because if I identify with him, it's because I become Crucified with him. Which he died obviously a martyr's death. He died for the cause of righteousness. So for us, that Acts chapter 1 promise that developed into Acts chapter 2 outpouring. Where it says they found themselves uh, gathered in one place in in one accord. And it says that the the spirit came into that place. and It was like the the sound of, of a mighty rushing wind. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the spirit of God gave them utterance. From that point forward, there was an identification within those men that never wavered. Period. You never saw Peter fleeing and denying Christ. Oh, certainly they had some of those issues like we talked about in Acts chapter 15 and and Peter was, was struggling with the Judaizers. But you never saw that wholesale abandonment. Every one of those men died with the exception of obviously John, a martyr's death. They endured to the end. They identified with Christ Jesus. Folks, listen, if there's anything that's been robbed from the church, it's two things. A, identifying with Christ and the ability to have victory over sin. B, identifying with the promise to have the empowerment to walk in, 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 in right relationship with Him and in demonstration of His power in our lives. Those things have. And so what's effectively happened in the church is the same thing happened in the Judaizers. It says, let's get you back to a lesser standard of something that's now being made manifest. Folks, listen, 30-plus years ago, man, you know what? When I started legitimately serving God, the Spirit of God came into my my heart and life, and, man, I got full with the Holy Ghost, and and these things happened. I've never had a reason to turn back. I've never had a desire to go back into the, the world. Something changed that caused me to identify with Him. Folks, if I'm not me that lives the Christ who lives in me, in the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, he gave himself for me for a reason and for a purpose. To have the empowerment, to walk in that type of victory. That way I'm not tossed about by every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of men. I'm not swept away by those things. But now I can identify with Christ and I can walk in that victory that empowers me. Amen. At the time of the night.